0: It's been said that every quilt tells a story and it's so true but I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Creating is so much bigger than switching on a machine and picking out some fabrics and thread. It's life-changing. The joy the love, the inspiration, the nourishment, the healing magic of creating. This is the vision behind Meaning of Life Designs. It's why Sarah Bedler is always thinking of new patterns or techniques to keep the love and magic circulating. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on A Quilter's Life.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Paula.
0: Let's start with where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in Hamelhempstead, England and lived in England till I was about 28, lived all over the place. I think I spent two years in Hamelhempstead, which is a little bit north of London, spent some time in Berkshire, which is to the west of London. Let's see. Then we moved up to Cheshire, which is more in the north of England. And on my 18th birthday, we actually moved down to Brighton, which is directly south of London. And then the last little bit, I lived in Essex for a couple of years, which is on the east coast, east of London.
0: So you've been all over. Yes. Can you share a special childhood memory?
1: I think a fun memory is when I was a small child and it's not so much of a direct memory, but the family laughing about this as time went on, we all went on vacation to Spain one year. And I think I was probably around four or five years of age and we drove over. So we would have gotten a ferry across the English channel, drove through France and down through Spain And when we came to the Spanish border, the passport control people wanted to know what my dad's name was. And so he said, English. And they're like, no, we want to know your name. And he's like, yes, Mr. English. And this went on for quite a while before he finally persuaded them that his name actually is Mr. John English. My maiden name is English. So that's just something that we laugh about every now and then and we actually had a really fun holiday in Spain as well you know beautiful beaches and different foods and my grandma came along with us as well so three little kids a grandma and two parents on a beach in the south of Spain having fun
0: oh that sounds wonderful I just love those times when a word gets mixed up like that and it causes such a funny situation
1: I actually had another situation regarding my name when I first came over to the United States. I was volunteering at a place in Massachusetts and I was walking up the path one day and met someone who actually worked there coming down the path and she was laughing to herself. You know, I having a really good chuckle. I was so funny. And she said, I just found out what your last name is. And Sarah English from England in America just seems to be the funniest thing. So, you know, you have to just laugh with people when that happens.
0: (laughs) Sarah, could you tell me about employment you've had in the past?
1: So I started out with a degree in computer studies and wound up going out of University straight into a PhD program. So I wound up with a PhD in theoretical computer science and then got a job as a software engineer. And at this point, I'm still in England. And I think I worked there for about two and a half years in the research division of a company that created safety and control systems and working on some of the new software for them. So one of my favorite examples is if you imagine an oil rig. Maybe out in the North Sea in England, the control systems that we would work on would be the nuts and bolts of how to make that oil rig actually function and keep it safe. When I came over to the United States, I was working as a consultant and worked in a couple of different organizations. I worked at American Express as a software engineer in some of their new product services services. I worked for Access. It's the government funded health program here in Arizona. Did not like that one little bit. And then wound up working for another company also here in Arizona, doing all kinds of different fun projects. And wound up actually working back at American Express, delving into some of their ancient systems and kind of figuring out the business logic to help them bring them into the 21st century, as it were. This was right around the year 2000. And the whole Y2K situation when the dates went from a two-digit date to a four-digit date. And so a lot of companies were doing all kinds of things, knowing that they had to go in there and fix their computer systems to handle this new date situation. They were doing some tidying up. So it was kind of fun working with some of the business people at American Express and learning about. What they wanted to have happen and being able to tell them, well, your software is actually saying this. Do you really want it to say this? And sometimes the situations where I would be able to point out and say, you know what, you've got this thing happening over here and it's doing this one thing. But over here, you've got what looks to me like the exact same thing, but it's trying to do something differently. What do you really want it to do? So that was actually a fun job to have.
0: Coming from the computer background that we have, I know exactly what you were going through with the Y2K, and that was scary for some people, but it was rather exciting.
1: It was, yeah. It opened up a lot of opportunities, and I think for myself, being brought up in England and knowing that I wanted to come across and stay in the United States, having a PhD in theoretical computer science and being a software engineer at that time was perfect. It made it really easy for me to find a job over here. And now I fell in love with the United States and live here all the time.
0: Wonderful. So you said you're in Arizona. Can you back up and tell me the decision to come over or how you got from England to the United States?
1: Absolutely. So I was a software engineer at this company in Essex. We would Building the safety and control systems. And I was just miserable. I was actually the only female engineer in a company of 20, 24 people altogether. I was the only female engineer and I was the most highly qualified. And it did not go down terribly well. And so, even confronted with a piece of software, I would be able to say, What the problem was, or what needed to happen. And the boys would all be saying, Why? And my response would be, Well, don't actually know. I just know that this is what we need to do. And more often than not, words proved to be correct. But the men didn't tend to appreciate the intuitive nature of how I work. (laughs) So I wound up getting really depressed and had one day gone to the doctor and said, you know what, I just, I need help here because I'm really struggling. And the best thing that she did for me was to give me two weeks of paid leave so that I could get myself back in order somewhat. And I took that time and spent a lot of time walking on the beach. Now we're talking Essex here. And later in the year, I think it was probably in October. So Essex, if you think North Sea, rocky beaches, we're not talking California sandy beaches or Florida sandy beaches. This is the North Sea, waves crashing on the shore, howling a gale and rocks. But it was a great place to go and walk and think and, you know, just blow the cobwebs literally out of your mind. A few weeks previously, I'd been searching on the internet and discovered this place in Massachusetts called the Option Institute. And they had an eight-week-long program. And I'd looked at it and I thought, oh, my goodness, I would love to go do that program. It was called Living the Dream. It was figuring out what you want out of life, personal development, growth, all that kind of stuff. But eight weeks long, absolutely couldn't afford to take the program, let alone fly across the Atlantic Ocean in order to get there. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to send off of their information anyway. So this was back in the days, mid-1990s, when the internet was just happening. So they had a website, but instead of giving you the information on the website, you could say, please send me your brochure. So their brochure arrived whilst I was on this two-week leave of absence. And There was a piece of paper that fell out that said, come and volunteer with us. And I looked at that. I was like, that is what I want to do. That will get me out of this job that I really do not like and allow me to go do something different. So we wound up on a telephone interview back when a minute on the phone between the United States and England was four or five dollars a minute. Really expensive but we had this most amazing conversation and eventually they said, Sarah, we would love to have you come and volunteer here. Can you come in January? I'm like, you bet. (laughs) So then it was a case of resigning from my job, which was the best thing. And in England, you had to give four weeks of notice. Um, So I handed in my notice. I, sold my car, sold all my furniture, this, that, and the other, gave up the lease on my flat or apartment, as we would call it here, bought myself a plane ticket to the United States, got $1,500 of traveler's checks in my pocket. And then on January 1st, 1996, I got on a plane, flew from London Heathrow to JFK in New York, got on a train, Got myself from JFK to LaGuardia, the train station, sat on my suitcase waiting for a guy who I was supposed to meet to come and find me. He did find me. We got on a train and toodled up to Massachusetts. And I volunteered there for six months, actually managed to acquire enough money and volunteer hours to do the eight-week-long program in the summer and just had
0: the most fantastic time. So did you go back to England after that and then come back over here or did you stay here? I
1: traveled for about 20 months altogether. I was able to extend my visitor's visa and had an opportunity to work with somebody that I had met here in Phoenix during my travels The company that he worked for, or actually he owned the company, and they were going to sponsor me for my green card, it became really apparent that that was not a good plan. And so I wound up going back to England, figured that, you know what? I can't live in England anymore. (laughs) It's just not working. So I put my resume out onto the internet, four weeks to get a job offer, And the company was a national consulting company here in the United States. They had everything in place to be able to get an H-1B visa for me. It took 13 weeks. They called me on January 8th, 1998 and said, your H-1 visa has been approved. How soon can you get here? So January 10th, 1998, I got on a plane and flew to the United States with my H-1B visa. And I've been here ever since. That is
0: so neat. Is there anything else about you or your family you want to share?
1: Despite the fact that I'm English and I now live in the United States, my parents and my younger sister actually now live in Sweden, just outside of Stockholm in the Stockholm Archipelago on one of the little tiny islands. And so if you hear me saying I'm going home, For a visit, then I'm not going to England. I'm actually going out to
0: Sweden. Oh wow. Is it comparable to English countryside or is it completely different?
1: There's a lot of water. So the Stockholm Archipelago is literally lots of little teeny tiny islands in the Baltic Sea. Some of them there's maybe an inch of water between one island and the next one. The island that my mom and dad and my sister live on is actually a genuine island that is totally surrounded by water. So you can walk down and cross the bridge from one island to the next island and just look out over these beautiful scenery, you know, that's almost like lakes. It resembles lakes more than say the ocean, but it is the Baltic Sea, just gorgeous. Lots of forests, In some ways, it's kind of very similar to England. The foundation of the country is much more rocky than you might necessarily find in England. The weather is definitely different, much colder. It's a fair bit further north than England, but very beautiful. One of the things, it's not so much like the geography of the place, but the way of life. I always find that they're a lot more. I don't know that laid back is the right word. They have a big family orientation. So when my sister got pregnant with her first daughter, she actually was able to take a year and a half off work. And her husband, my brother-in-law, took six months off work. They were fully paid during this time. But instead of being paid 100%, they chose to... paid for 80% and kind of stretch the time out a little bit. You wouldn't ever see anything like that here or even in England, but you know, having both the mother and the father able to spend time home with the children and they're much more capable of saying, I'm going to work for my 40 hours this week. And when I come home, I'm actually going to be at home and I'm going to go out and do fun things. And do family things. So they're not nearly as workaholic as we are here in the United States, which is very relaxing <laughs> when we go over
0: there. Nice. So it's much less stress.
1: Yes. I also love, they have a tradition that they call fika, which is kind of like afternoon tea, You're not necessarily drinking tea, but maybe a little sandwich or a cream cake or something like that. And it's just an opportunity to sit and taste something sweet and visit with the people that you're with and, you know, just take that little breather in the middle of the afternoon. So we all really like that. And even now at home, when I go grocery shopping or something, my daughters will say to me, Can we stop and have pica this afternoon?
0: And you say, sure.
1: Yeah, for the most part. It's a nice little tradition.
0: Nice. Do you have other crafts that you do or that you've done in the past?
1: I have done all kinds of things. So I learned to knit and crochet When I was a little one, always done lots of sewing. I think my mom taught me to sew when I was about six, did lots of garment sewing, lots of home deck, making curtains, pillows, that kind of stuff. Always knitted. I knitted sweaters, done lots of crocheting. My grandma taught me how to crochet. I've done needle tatting and the other kind of tatting, which there's two different kinds of tatting, both of which are, I think, really fun not so much of a painter, done some drawing. When I was actually in high school, I really enjoyed doing screen printing back in the old days where you would have the screen and then you would cut the template out of newspaper and had tons of fun doing that. I think that technology behind that has gotten very amazing and sophisticated. But back in the day when literally you got a mesh and a piece of newspaper that you cut your design and pull in the inks across it. So had a lot of fun doing that.
0: How about other hobbies?
1: Usually horse riding. When I was a youngster, uh, the whole family actually would go out horse riding. And that was fun. I'm Actually, I don't know where I got this from, but I became very allergic to horses, which is kind of strange because I've spent a lot of time with them. As a young person, but now put me in contact with a horse and I'm sneezing all over the place. It is really not a pleasant experience. I used to do ice dancing when I was in high school and had a bunch of fun with that. Before I got married, I did some ballroom dancing. And I keep saying that I want to get back into the ballroom dancing. I think when I was doing that, I'd never had such a good posture you somehow end up standing up taller and I feel myself doing it even now, just standing up taller and the great posture and your head held high. So I had the ball gown and the salsa gown and actually went to Las Vegas and took part in the competition, which was a ton of fun at the Luxor. And then I guess most recently archery was a big thing. Interesting story, Ashley my daughters both were participating in karate and my elder daughter particularly was always injuring her knees. She was growing so fast and the muscles couldn't keep up. I think she even tore a meniscus at one point. I'm like, Heather, you cannot keep doing this because your knees are really important and this just isn't working. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, we're not going to do the Karate anymore, but you need to find something to do. And we were walking out of school one day. The girls were both at the same school. Heather finished 15 minutes before Jasmine. So I'd gone to get Heather. We were walking out to the car and the archery club was setting up to start their weekly session on the grounds just in front of the school. And Heather looked at that and she saw a couple of her friends over there and she said, Hey, can I try archery? I'm looking at it, I'm like, sure, why not? So I went over, introduced ourselves to the coach and said, hey, can you take a new kid on? And he's like, absolutely. Come on and join the fun. And so I left her getting started with the archery club, walked back into school to get Jasmine walking out with her. And she's like, where's Heather? And I said, oh, well, she's just gone to join the archery club. And so Jasmine said, can I join them? <laughs> And so I walked over to the coach and I said, do you have an age limit going on here or can you take a little kid? And he's like, bring her on. And so the two of them basically got started with this archery club. And I'm sitting there thinking, this really sucks because now I've got to sit here for an hour and a half or however long it was going to be watching them. (laughs) And I said to the coach, can I join in? And he's like, sure. So he's got all three of us now set up with bows and arrows and shooting at targets and what have you. So time goes on. It turns out that I was the only one who continued. The girls both gave up. Meanwhile, I've got my own bow and arrows. I decided one day that I needed a challenge, and the challenge was to earn my bronze Olympian pin before my next birthday. It took me a little bit longer than a year to earn my bronze Olympian pin, which I guess is kind of like a first degree black belt in karate. And I wound up participating in the 2017 Archery Championships in Arizona and won the Masters Division Recurve Women's Archery Championship in both indoor and outdoor
0: Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Not only does it take talent, that takes a lot of dedication.
1: It took a lot of time, yeah. Towards the end, I was shooting four or five days a week, and the archery range was a good way from home, and it got to the point where it's like, okay, I need to be focusing on business. This is taking over. Way too much time. So I decided, you know, I'm done with this. I achieved my goal. I had a ton of fun doing it and it's time to move on and
0: do something else. Sometimes those are hard decisions to make, but yeah, we come to that point and have to make a decision.
1: Yeah, it was a hard decision, but it was a good one, I think.
0: So do any of those hobbies show up in your quilts?
1: No. No. No, they don't, actually. I'm just thinking here. They do not. So for some reason, you know, of all other things, thinking about my hobbies and bringing them into my quilts has never even really crossed my mind. I guess I always keep the quilting thing separate from whatever else I might be doing.
0: Yeah. Share with me. How you were introduced to quilting or who introduced you to quilting?
1: When I was a child, my mom was actually a home economics teacher and she had a 1964 Benina record sewing machine. I essentially wound up taking over that sewing machine because I loved to sew and I was doing all kinds of stuff. For my 18th birthday, she decided she was done with me using a sewing machine. She wanted it back. And so she bought me my own sewing machine. So that opened up a whole new world and it was still a fairly basic machine, straight stitch with, I think it probably had about eight different decorative stitches on it, but it did everything I needed it to do. When I went to college, I didn't do a whole lot of sewing and didn't really do any sewing when I was first in my jobs and when I came across to the States. But when I got pregnant with Heather, my oldest daughter, daughter, Actually, it wasn't so much when I was pregnant, when she was first born, I wound up borrowing my father-in-law's sewing machine and I was making tiny baby clothes for her. And then one day, a couple of months before her first birthday, he showed up and wanted his sewing machine back again. And I said to Christopher, the girl's dad, my ex, I said, I need a sewing machine. I sew every day. Heather was a really good sleeper as a little girl and she would sleep for two hours and I would sew and then she'd be awake for two hours and I wouldn't sew and then she'd sleep again and I did a lot of sewing and I was kind of in between state. I wasn't working due to the status of my green card. And so we were watching my 401k plan kind of doing a nosedive into the ground and decided that... Whilst there was still some money in it, because we were actually living on student loans, Christopher was back in school at that time, and we were allowed to withdraw some money from the 401k without a penalty. So we decided that I could use that money to buy myself a sewing machine. So off I go. We're living in Albuquerque at the time, and I'm looking for sewing machines, and I wound up in Anne Silver's Benina Sewing Center in Albuquerque and discovered not just sewing machines, but embroidery machines. I also discovered the quilts that they had on the wall. They've always had the most amazing wall displays of quilts, whether they're quilts that are coming up for classes or just quilts that they hang out there most of the time. And I was looking at the quilts. And in particular, I was looking at the quilting on them. I never, ever, I don't recall ever seeing a quilt before. We always had duvets when we were children, you know. And so I don't actually remember ever seeing a quilt before, but I was looking at the quilting and the free motion quilting on these beautiful works of art. And I was thinking, I want to be able to do that But that's going to take a really long time to learn if I can ever figure that out. And then I was looking at the embroidery machines, and we're talking embroidery machines that the biggest hoop size is, I think, a six by eight or six by 10, maybe was probably about the biggest hoop that you could come by at the time. But I'm looking at these machines, and I got the thought if I could get some software that allowed me to program this embroidery machine. I could make the embroidery machine do all of that stitching and that quilting that I see. That was my first endeavor for getting into the quilting world. And I looked at these quilts and I just fell in love with the geometry and the symmetry and all of the beautiful things that you could do with piecing. I was in love at that point. And then A little bit of time went by and I was introduced to Ricky Timms, actually, and his caveman quilting style. And I had a ton of fun playing with that. And I actually got to meet him at a workshop when he came to Albuquerque one time and was able to show him some of the things that I'd been doing with his caveman technique. Also, at that time, found out about his applique. He does some of the most amazing applique. And I fell in love with that. And I think that's got to be the first time I actually saw an applique quilt or paid any attention to one. And I started thinking, wow, that for sure is something that I could program the embroidery machine to do. And so I had a ton of fun playing with the software. And when I showed Ann Silver, who owns Ann Silver's Benina Center in Albuquerque, some of the things that I was doing, she's going, wow, that's amazing. So it kind of all started there, you know, discovering the quilts and discovering the embroidery machines and using my technical background to essentially be able to program the embroidery machine to do what I wanted it to do. So I had a lot of fun figuring that all out.
0: Well, for starting out, it sounds like you jumped in with both feet and you swam.
1: Yep. This sounds kind of crazy, but the very first quilt that I made was for Heather's first birthday. I wanted it to be just a little wall hanging that had her name. And so I digitized her name, Heather, in applique and stitched it out on this one center panel. And then I figured, okay, I could piece some blocks going around the outside edge. You might think I'm completely dumb or stupid or whatever, but I figured that I don't want this to be very big. I'll just make four inch blocks, not realizing that the smaller you go down when you want to piece a block, the harder it gets. So I actually pieced, we're talking about half inch wide log cabin strips and, when I got triangles involved, it's like, oh my gosh, what in the world am I doing here? This is really hard. I figured it out. And then I think it was like the night before her birthday. And I was up at midnight trying to finish this little quilt for her. And I am not a night owl, I am an early morning person. You know, once it gets past about nine o'clock, I make mistakes and ordinarily I would stop. But I actually wound up cutting a hole inadvertently in the center panel that had her name on it. And so it was like, oh gosh, darn it. I can't believe I've just done that. (laughs) So that was my first attempt at making a quilt. And then the second quilt I ever made, I figured, okay, I'm going to find a competition to enter. So I found a competition and I made my life as a labyrinth quilt. It was a pieced labyrinth, one inch wide strips. And I think it's a 60, 66 inches square. So if you can imagine a labyrinth made out of one inch strips, I decided that I was going to quilt that in the hoop using my embroidery machine. This is before I knew anything about quilting. And so I digitized a whole bunch of circles. And I remember that there were 108 hoopings on this one quilt and I know that there were probably closer to 200 hoopings of actually getting it where I wanted to be with a whole lot of unpicking in it but that quilt won a place it was in the top 50 actually the quilt got accepted into a gallery of 50 quilts and it went off and traveled the world for two years so Decide you're going to do something and then just go at it and see what happens. Because
0: sometimes really good things happen. How fun. So do you have a list to keep with that quilt of where all it went? You
1: know what? I don't know. I have a little glass kind of trophy that they sent me. It's about maybe about four inches long and an inch and a half wide with a little blue glass thing on it. And I have a really nicely laid out book of photographs of each of the quilts that got into the traveling show, but I don't actually know all of the places where it went. I know it went to a bunch of places across the United States and it also wound up in Europe and did a fair bit of touring over there. I think it went to Australia as well. I'm not 100% sure about that one.
0: How fun though. That is really cool. And do you have a favorite quilt?
1: They're kind of always my favorite when I'm working on them. And then more often than not, by the time I'm done, I'm so fed up of them. (laughs) Not so much the making of the quilt. It's more the writing of the instructions that it's like, you know what? I am done with this. I don't want to see this ever again. Simply Dreaming is the quilt that I have on my bed. It's a queen size block of the month quilt that I designed. And that was the first as a queen size quilt that was quilted entirely in the hoop so that it could be as soft and snuggly as a regular quilt that you've literally got the quilt top and a piece of batting and the backing. And I figured out how to make it in two sections so that you've got the center part. And I think the center is about 60 inches square, which is like, okay, we're getting to the bounds and too big to be quilted in the hoop. And then the rest of it is quilted as a big square with a giant hole in the middle of it. And the center part is actually pieced to the outer part. And then there's a sashing border that is stitched over the top. But that's the one that I have on my bed. So I would say, you know what, that's probably my favorite because I just love the colors and I love the quilting on it. It just makes me happy to look at it and sleep under it.
0: I just love it when something shows up and you look at it and it's like, yes, you just enjoy it.
1: Yeah, definitely. That is the case. And on the wall at the end of the bed, so the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning, I have my Petal Power Flower Garden quilt, and that's a fairly simple wall hanging. And it's one where we played with three dimensions. So It's two different sizes of the blocks on there or two different sizes of the flowers. So we got the big flowers and they're actually on the quilt background. And then we decided for the little flowers, instead of putting them into blocks, we actually kept them separately and wrapped them around half inch dowel wooden frame. They glue onto the background with Velcro. So it's not a flat quilt. It's got two different layers going on it. And I just love the colors. We used some Hoffman Essex linen blend, something like that. And I just love the way it looks. It just looks so beautiful with the quilting on it and the way that the light shines on it. That also makes me happy to wake up in the morning and sit
0: up in bed. And that's the first thing that I see. That is neat. When you're working on a quilt, is there a tool that you're so happy that you have?
1: Probably the software. Everything happens in the software first. So it's a case of how do I get whatever the idea is out of my head and create it in a form that I can actually make a quilt out of it. So if anybody was to take away my software, I use CorelDraw for designing and either the Bonina embroidery software or Hatch for the digitizing. If somebody was to say you can't have those anymore, I would be very, very, very sad because that's how I get the ideas out of my head. As far as actually making the quilts, I would be lost without my embroidery machine. I love my
0: embroidery machines. Oh, machines, more than one.
1: Yes, we have five. Not all in service at the same time one of them is actually set in a cabinet and we use that one for all of the piecing but we have four embroidery machines we actually have kitchen cabinets so we have the embroidery machine sitting on the kitchen cabinets four bonina eight series machines and we have a brother dream machine
0: wow What part of the process do you like the most or do you like each step along the way of quilting?
1: I like the designing best. To some extent, if I can design, it's not always necessary to actually make the quilt. Although sometimes just getting my hands on fabric and thread is so therapeutic. Sitting in front of the computer, you get the tight shoulders and the aching and I'll get carried away and figure out, oh my goodness, I haven't actually stood up in the last four hours. And when I do stand up, I can barely move. I'm so stiff. But the designing part is absolutely my favorite part.
0: So was that experience with that first quilt you made your worst quilt experience or did you have another one?
1: That is pretty high up on the Worst Experiences ladder. I do have another quilt that was a oblique moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I made a quilt for Benina, the Sterling Life quilt. It's a Sterling Life on Berkeley Square. And that quilt has 19,000 and a few... Swarovski hotfix crystals on it. It was made to a deadline, and I was getting perilously close to the deadline, and so I wound up finishing it slightly differently. So the way I finished the quilt is not the same way that if you bought the instructions and followed them that you would make them. But in the end, it worked. One of the things that was holding me up was getting it quilted. For the most part, all of the crystals were put onto the quilt top before that section of the quilt was quilted. Because I was in a time crunch, I wound up doing the embroidered applique, for the most part, fusing the crystals in place and then making the quilt sandwich and quilting it. And then we pieced all of the different sections together. Fortunately, the quilt had sashing, which made it easy to kind of hide the joints. There was one section of the quilt where For whatever reason, the hot fix crystals were not put on before I quilted it. And I wound up having to put them on after, which is all very well, except I was using a polyester batting and I put the iron on to fuse some of these crystals in place and actually wound up melting the batting. So there is this one section of that quilt. Where if you get up close and start looking at it, it's a fairly small patch, but it's still there where you've got this melted polyester batting in there. And it was like, oh, my God. I mean, that was soul destroying when that happened. That was really. Sit down and cry. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that was not a fun experience at all. Oh, no especially because that particular quilt heading off to Benin University and it was going to be in front of a lot of people looking at it very closely. And it's like, oh, gosh darn, I could kick myself because I hate when I've got what I think of as very visible bad mistakes Now, interestingly enough, I was having a conversation earlier on one of our Zoom calls with our customers and the concept of perfectionism came up and it's come up a lot so far this year. I've actually since given up on the whole perfectionist things like trying to make everything perfect is not my jam anymore. In some cases, it's soul destroying. I think enjoying the process And having fun with it is so much more important than ending up with something that is perfect. The struggle that goes along with if it's not perfect and you know it's not perfect and the feelings of frustration and whatever else you might be thinking because it's not perfect. It's like you got to give somewhere. So nothing is perfect anymore.
0: Yeah, it seems like that's an overriding tip that people give is enjoy the process and don't try to be perfect. So I think a lot of people have learned that lesson.
1: Good. I think unless you're making a quilt that you want to enter into a high level national, international competition, I think we're making quilts for the love of our families, for the love of doing something for ourselves. And this whole conversation about I wanted to be perfect is so highly overrated. Mm. Life's too short.
0: Yeah. Why do you think you choose now to work on quilts rather than doing something else in your life?
1: You know, back in the beginning, I've always loved the sewing and the creating mm. and being creative with my hands, whether it's sewing, making a quilt, crocheting, knitting, whatever it is. When I first decided to go into business as a quilt designer, I actually had just gotten divorced. I had a nearly seven-year-old and a nearly three-year-old and some investment income that I had had totally dried up. And so it was a case of, okay, I really need to figure out how to actually earn a living here. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for the first six years. The thought process was, as my dad's telling me, Sarah, you should go out and get a proper job. Go back and use your degree and your PhD and get into the corporate world again. I'm like, you may as well just shoot me right now because that's not going to happen. I had two goals. One of them was I absolutely want to stay and be at home with my girls. I didn't want to be sending them off into daycare and having somebody else looking after them I honestly do not know how women who have corporate jobs and kids manage. I absolutely don't know how they do that. But it was important to me that I wanted to see my kids grow up and be there, be able to go to school events and, you know, all the things that happened with having kids. The other thing was that I decided I absolutely needed to do something that nurtured my soul. And the thing that answered both of those two questions for me was continuing to make quilts and making quilts, designing quilts as a method of supporting my family and doing something that I love to do. I found it amazing that as soon as I made that decision, it was like the whole world, the whole universe was conspiring to help me become successful. And I met people that I had no idea I would ever meet. I was introduced to exactly the right person at the right moment to figure out how to get from where I was to whatever the next step would be. And I've just met so many amazing and beautiful people, both in the industry and as customers, people who create quilts based on a design collection or whatever that they might have purchased from me. I just find it so satisfying. So that's why I make quilts and that's why I continue to make quilts.
0: Not knowing what's in the future can be a bit scary, but it is a great adventure and exciting to see all that come together.
1: Yeah, there have definitely been scary moments and there have also been really amazing moments back in... 2016 my eldest daughter heather was 14 at the time and she wound up having a hemorrhagic stroke one day she was just fine the next day she's having emergency brain surgery one of the things that i've discovered about the quilting community is that they are incredibly generous in their love and support i put out on facebook hey this is what's happening and at the time we were like You know, Heather's in the hospital. We have absolutely no idea exactly what's happening, but we need prayers, please. There's so many people in the quilting community, whether they were my direct customers or even people I'd never met before. They reached out and said, hey, we just wanted to let you know that we're saying a prayer for your daughter. We heard about you through our church or I heard about you through my quilting group and you don't know me and I don't know you, but I wanted to let you know that we're here and we're praying for you. And so I found out that even the scary times, this particular genre of people, people who quilt, people who create things, just the most kind-hearted, generous
0: people that you can find. hmm So sorry you had to go through all that.
1: You know, as strange as it sounds, it's almost been a blessing that it happened. I wish it could have happened maybe in a way that wasn't quite so painful for Heather, but there have been many good things that have happened because of that
0: experience. And is she doing all right now?
1: She is. She just turned 21 a couple of weeks ago. She's at University of Arizona She's working on her bachelor's degree and it changes frequently. (laughs) So I think she's majoring in molecular and cellular biology with an emphasis on genetics. And she has a minor in emergency medicine and a minor in organic chemistry and a minor in physiology of some sort. And she is preparing to take the MCAT in March with a goal of getting into medical school. Oh, great. She was a miraculous healing situation. She could have not gotten through this at all, but I think miracles were at work for her.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we wish her the best. Thank you. Who do you make your quilts for?
1: It's more a case of who are they inspired by, and that would definitely be my daughters, Heather and Jasmine. And sometimes just stuff that kind of comes through, but. I make quilts for people who want to make quilts that I've designed and definitely inspired by my
0: girls. Nice. I know you're blessed with wonderful daughters and it's great to hear your bond with them. That's really nice. Thank you. Do you have a special project going on right now? I am collaborating with a friend of
1: mine, Dr. Jay. We are doing a workshop and a stitch out. The concept of having a word of the year or having what we're calling a power word as a word that guides your life and you can think about it and use it to help you make decisions. It started out that the idea of doing this workshop and Stitch Out came last year when I was having a conversation with my friend, Jay. She texted me to let me know that she just had a breast biopsy. And a couple of days later, she came back and worst possible scenario, it came back positive. She has breast cancer. The same day, she discovered that she'd been downsized from her job. So all of this stuff landing on her, and we've had so many conversations. Does she go down the lumpectomy route? Does she go down the mastectomy route? What about breast reconstruction? All of these things. And I am so in awe of how she has handled this situation, going from a very well-paying job to no job. And not only not having a job, but having breast cancer thrown into the mix as well. We had actually met a few years ago when we both were training to become certified high performance coaches. And one of her goals has actually been to get out of the corporate world and set up her own coaching business. She's viewing this whole experience like a kick from God to say, hey, you know you said you wanted to do it. So here's your opportunity. She just filled me with awe watching her live her life and how she's handling this stint with breast cancer. I don't know quite what to call it. And her word is actually courage. And she lives her life with courage. And so I decided On two different levels, one thing, I think this whole concept of having a power word is so important and really can guide us and Jay is a walking example of how that can happen and wanting to bring that to my community. It's not something that I've done before. You know, this is the personal growth, personal development, high performance coaching is something that is very kind of separate and distinct from what I do as a quilt designer. But I wanted to bring that to my customers and also figure, you know, I send an email out to a lot of people on a weekly basis. I would love to put Dr. J in front of those people because somebody might want what she has. Somebody might be really inspired by her story and say, hey, I put my hand up because I want to work with you. I wanted to create some opportunities for Dr. J to go along with that is like, okay, so we have a word. I have at least two machine embroidered alphabets and I've used them to stitch out my words over the years. And so the idea started out is what if we create a workshop led by Jay so that she's guiding everybody through figuring out what is your word? What is the word that you want to guide the next stage of your life? And then having gotten your word, let's bring it into fabric and thread and use these embroidery designs and create a beautiful reminder of it. Because I find, you know, it's very easy to forget. Whereas if I've got something in front of me as a reminder, I'm going to be thinking about it more often. And it might just give me pause to pause. If I'm going down some thought process that is Taking me down into the dark depths of where I don't want to be. And I could look up and say, oh, that's my word. I need to be heading up and not down into the dark. So we are doing this workshop on February 13th. And we have the stitch out happening the following weekend on February 20th. Both of them are Mondays. But the February 20th is President's Day. So I figured, you know what? Chances are people, if they're working, might have the day off. And that would be a great day to get together and do some stitching. And it's all happening online. So wherever you are in the world, come and join us. Got an embroidery machine. Come and join the Stitch Out. Everybody can come and join the workshop. And we're just going to have a ton of fun.
0: That sounds wonderful. What a great idea.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited about it. Jay is just such an amazing person and she just carries the light with her. I think just being in her presence is enough to shed a little light on every single one of
0: us. Mm-hmm. Can you share a quilting tip with me? Change the blade in your
1: rotary cutter. It's not necessarily an obvious thing when the blade needs changing. And I know for sure that there are times when I've gone way too long and the cut doesn't happen the first time and you end up with threads that you got to go back over again. And then you end up slicing into the fabric where you don't want to, because you're trying to tidy up these threads. Whereas if you change your rotary cutter blade A little bit more often, you can just get those nice clean cuts and it doesn't require your entire body weight to make it happen. So change your rotary cutter blade more
0: often than you usually do. That's a great one. Thank you. Can you describe how you had quilting as a hobby and it became your business?
1: Especially when the girls were little, it was something that I found I needed to do it It as part of my sanity of being a mom. This was something that I could send dad off with the two kids and have my fun time in the sewing room stitching. And then having gotten divorced and needing to figure out how do I generate an income for myself and my family, becoming a quilt designer was the obvious choice. And going from this is something that I love to do to this is something that I love to do and so I'm going to share it with the world. was a fairly easy decision, actually.
0: And tell us what the name of your business is and how did you come up with that name?
1: <laughs> so I started out as Sarah Vedler Designs and a friend of mine said, well, yes, Sarah Vedler Designs because that's what Sarah Vedler does. We're currently... Meaning of life designs. So back when Heather had her stroke in March of 2016, May of 2017, you know we've done all kinds of different things, spent tons of hours in doctors' surgeries, taught to neurosurgeons, this, that, and the other. I'm standing in the shower, minding my own business one day, and I heard a voice come through, and it said, "Sarah, you need to create the Meaning of Life Center." And it's a place where teens and young adults and their moms come to heal from trauma, whether it's major medical trauma like Heather experienced or whether it's just the trauma of living in the 21st century. And by the way, you need to rename Sarah Bedler designs to meaning of life designs. And please write this down. I'm like. okay, got it. Could you give me a little bit more on that? (laughs) What the heck? And so anyway, I figured, okay, the Sarah Vedler designs, the meaning of life designs is reasonably simple and straightforward. I can do that and mix so many people saying, everybody knows who Sarah Vedler is. Nobody's going to know who meaning of life designs is. And I think more than a few people think I actually went out of business, but that's absolutely not the case. But Sarah Saravella Designs did become Meaning of Life Designs in the summer of 2017. So we've been there for quite a while and it was the right thing to do. And the Meaning of Life Center is a thought in progress. So that's kind of coming along as well.
0: Well, so you have that goal out there, you know, you need to do that, but it's still a work in progress.
1: Yeah, This past summer, it actually kind of came through as, come on, Sarah, you really need to be doing something more with it now. But And at the same time, being aware that it's a physical retreat center that I want to create. And I know it's not in Arizona. My current thoughts are it's going to be somewhere in Colorado. But whilst Jasmine is in high school, we're kind of fixed here in Arizona. So she graduates in May of 24. So summer 24 is when we will be figuring out where exactly do I want to move to in Colorado so that I can create a physical part of the Meaning of Life Center.
0: Oh, neat. That's going to be exciting to watch that unfold. Yeah, I think it will. You've talked a little bit about embroidery in our chatting, but... On your website, I saw embroidery applique. Now, I know what embroidery is and I know what applique is, but what is embroidery applique?
1: Embroidery applique is applique that is
0: completed using an embroidery machine. Okay. So do you cut the piece first and then do the embroidery on it? Or do you do the embroidery and then snip material away? I do pre-cut
1: shapes. It works so much better, in my opinion. If you were to stitch out one of my machine embroidery applique designs, you will have a piece of stabilizer in the hoop and we'll give you a crosshair and we'll show you exactly where to position your background fabric in the hoop. So there's going to be some kind of a crosshair that's been marked on your background fabric. So you're going to lay your background fabric on the stabilizer and the hoop using the positioning lines. Then it's going to give you a placement line that will show you exactly where to place the applique shape. And then you're going to put a pre-cut shape, fuse it in place, and then do all of the stitching on top of it. And I find that for the majority of my quilts, doing the tack and trim method where you would put a piece of fabric and trim the excess away is really not possible. And I know people listening can't see the quilt that's on the wall behind me, but this is my butterfly quilt. And if you were to look at the bottom feather, which is kind of mirrored on both sides, that is a design that's got, let me see if I can one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably 12 or so pieces. On there, and there's no way that you could put the piece of fabric down and get in around all of the curves. You just couldn't do it. But if you've got a placement line and a pre-cut shape, and you put the pre-cut shape exactly where it needs to go, everything is so much easier. And it also gives the opportunity to use some different edge finishing. So you don't have to have a really wide satin stitch, which you would have to utilized if you had the tack and trim.
0: Like I said, I looked at your website and your designs look amazing. So I know people are going to want to take a look at that. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember when the first person bought one of your patterns and how exciting that was?
1: You know, it wasn't so much the first person, it was the first order placed by a distributor. So When I first got started in business, I wound up at Quilt Market with a friend who was a quilt designer, and I was barely just starting out, but I knew that getting to Quilt Market was the place to go. Long story short, I was introduced to the purchasing manager for Brewer, which is the distributor that's owned by Benina. She apparently had been having a conversation how do we get quilters using embroidery machines? And then I show up and I said, hey, I'm using my embroidery machine to do applique on quilts. And she looked at what I was doing and fell in love with it. And then said, okay, so how do I go about ordering these? And it kind of went from there. So it wasn't a single one-off purchase to a customer that was actually going to be stitching out. It was a order from the distributor so that they could get my designs out into banana dealerships.
0: Wow. That is amazing. Again with you and the timing, it couldn't have been more perfect.
1: That particular meeting, I think it was a one in a million chances of actually finding this one person sitting where she was taking a break. I've been to court market many times since then and it's kind of not the done thing to be sitting, taking a break. So the fact that I walk up just as she's sitting, taking that break and having that conversation, you know, it's God guided events that happen, having made the decision, this is how I'm going to support my family and do something that nurtures me and is of service in the world.
0: That is so great. And what was it like when you saw a quilt made that you knew you had designed, but somebody else made it?
1: You know, that is the most amazing experience. I remember teaching at Quiltique in Henderson, Nevada one time. I walked into the store and lo and behold, in the classroom, there is my Silk Hearts quilt on the wall, only I knew that my Silk Hearts quilt was actually in my suitcase. It was just the most amazing experience to go and see that quilt and go, wow, that is just just so amazing and so beautifully implemented. And to see photographs of people who have made my quilts and submitted them into... Competitions and they've won blue ribbons and they've won best of show. It's just such an amazing thing to see that. How to find words to describe it. Yeah. Just, you know, so satisfying to say, wow, look at that. Interestingly enough, the girls, they have really good radar for my quilts. We've been together at various shows and things and They'll spot a quilt and they're like, mommy, that is one of your quilts, especially when they were younger and they would get so excited about the fact that that's one of mommy's quilt, even though it wasn't made by me, it was made by somebody else.
0: Yeah. How fun for the whole family. That is great. Can you talk about your masterclass?
1: The digitizing and design masterclass is something that I started last year it has been the most amazing experience. The idea behind it being, I'm a software person, you know, I use all of the software. And what if I could share some of my wisdom and tips and techniques and things with other people so that they can design their own quilts. And it's been a really fascinating and amazing journey to create this 10 session masterclass for people and have some amazing students showing up and seeing that aha moments as they've gone along, you know, starting out, most people have had a fairly rudimentary, at least knowledge of how to use the embroidery software, giving the majority of people a brand new look at draw, which they've never used before. So getting people started and then seeing how people are interpreting a challenge that I give to them. So every month there's kind of like a lecture and a handout to follow along with. And then there's a challenge that says, hey, now that you know how to do this, go put it into practice. And it's been absolutely fascinating to see the progress that people have made. So we just started the 2023 masterclass. Registration is actually closed. I'm excited to see how this new group of students progresses and just watch their designs come to life.
0: Now, did you mention how long the class lasts or when you will we'll be offering it again?
1: We'll be offering it probably right around Thanksgiving to start in January of next year. And the reason for Thanksgiving, even though we're not starting until January, is so that people can take advantage of the sales for purchasing the software. Great. There's 10 months of learning and we have a couple of extra months. Each month there's a learning module and there's a live Q&A so that people can come and ask questions and all kinds of interesting things actually come up during the Q&As that don't necessarily come out in the teaching. So it's always fun to be able to get with the students and answer their questions and go down paths that I might not have thought of. So 10 months of teaching and 12 months of Q&A to last the whole year.
0: That sounds like such a neat program to be part of.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it immensely teaching it.
0: Sarah, is, is there anything else you wanted to share about your business? One of the things
1: that I have found over the years, especially when I used to travel and teach, is people would come to my classes and they'd say, I've had your design collections for years and I've been too afraid to try it. But now that I see how it's done, I wished I jumped in earlier. I just really want to tell people that you know, if you see one of the designs and it speaks to you, jump right in. A lot of our Collections now include video tutorials. It's literally as if you could be looking over my shoulder and I show you exactly what we're doing. We always have a weekly live Zoom call. And so if you have a question, it's an opportunity to come and say, help, I'm stuck. And we get together and we'll figure it out.
0: Very good. That's important information. Thanks. Thank you. And where can we find your business?
1: You can go to meaningoflifedesigns.com or you can go to machineembroideryappliqué.com and they'll both wind up at the same
0: place. Great. And we'll have those links on your episode page so we can find you there too. Perfect. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Sarah, thanks so much for... Being a guest on A Quilter's Life, I loved hearing your story.
1: Thank you. I've had so much fun chatting with you, Paula.
0: Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.